3: Chumba. Chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over, over by law, 80 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky?
3: In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, uh-huh, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Love this podcast? Support this show
1: through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular
0: commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
3: This episode of The Blank Podcast is sponsored by Chatty Hatter Media and Marketing. Chatty
1: Hatter is a bespoke PR marketing agency based in Kent and serving the UK, which delivers unique to you strategies with a fresh perspective.
3: Oh, I grew up in Kent. Lovely place. Many businesses and brand owners see social media and think marketing their product must be easy with millions of potential customers at their fingertips. But when it
1: comes to the crunch marketing and getting noticed is more complicated than ever before. If you're
3: looking for a company or product to get the attention it deserves want your brand to be packaged up beautifully and for it to hit the right audiences and fast Chatty Hatter has a whole team of press PR and marketing professionals who are
1: experts in their field. With a powerful skill set between them They are fully equipped to handle all aspects of clients' marketing and media needs. They never compromise on quality and have a firm grasp of what it takes to stand out in a competitive marketplace and all at an affordable price.
3: With clients ranging from engineering to publishing and fashion to photography, Chatty Hatter delivers excellent marketing strategies with unrivaled results all under one roof. So don't draw a blank. Contact Chatty Hatter for more information and
1: advice on how they can help you. Chatty Hatter can be found at www.chattyhatter.com and the National Centre for Behaviour Change who have been helping to create
3: positive sustainable change since 2003. NCBC supports all change whether it be in addiction, managing anxiety, weight loss or workplace health and has a world-class team of behavioural psychologists and change specialists at the ready. Offering professional
1: behaviour change training, supervision and one-to-one therapy, NCBC aims to help make our world a better, healthier and more connected place.
3: If you would like to explore making a change in your life or to find out more about NCBC's services, please visit their website, ncbc-uk.com. Right, let's get on with the episode. podcast that delves into those frustrating moments with some well-known people. I'm Jim Daly and of course I'm joined by Giles Paley Phillips. How are you? I'm alright mate, how are you? Good, are you excited? Very excited, so
1: excited for this podcast.
3: It's, it's happening. It's a long time in the coming. It is. Is that the right word? <laughs> I don't know. And that's the first blank moment <laughs> yeah. of the entire
1: series. I mean it's been 10 years I've been wanting to do this. Wow. I know, it's uh, And I've said to people about this, and they've said, oh, I've never heard you talk about doing a podcast. And I think it's always been
3: there. Yeah. Ten years in the making. Man, it better be a success. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, shall we explain a bit about the pod? Because this pod's about blank moments. Yeah. And we've got some great names lined up. Today's guest, kicking off first ever season, is John Ronson. Amazing John Ronson.
1: And I have to admit, um, when we met John, I was... I'm, I'm a super fan of John Monson's, um, and I have to admit, I was quite nervous meeting John. Yeah, because, me too. Um, and actually, there were a few little blank moments. There were a in few. podcast.
3: Exactly. I think we both have a blank moment in the first five minutes yeah. of this pod.
1: and I thought, I hope this isn't a sign of things to come, <laughs> and this is going to be a really terrible podcast, because, um, yeah, I fluffed the name of um, John's brilliant book, um so you've been publicly shamed yeah and, um and i but referenced the wrong project he'd so,
3: so apologies to john but this pod yeah. is all about blank moments and so we are intentionally yeah. leaving those things in we are we we pod. talked about this quite
1: early on that yeah. we just want to leave those moments in because it just seems na- more natural yeah you know, exactly. and you can't have a blank podcast and not allow blank exactly. moments in the podcast so. exactly
3: and like and we also like we have our own blank moments outside of the pod you know for example you're trying to finish a book at the moment
1: yeah i've been trying to write but i mean i kind of stopped i've stopped writing really because yeah i've been struggling with with writing and um yeah so that's certainly been a blank moment for me and obviously you
3: you your stand up i want to get back into doing stand-up yeah but almost got the fear a little bit of Mm. going back in and trying new material and hoping it goes well so we're kind of hoping from these podcasts over next few weeks to maybe sort of learn to deal with our own blank moments hopefully
1: well that's hope (laughs) There's hope. There's hope. If not, hope is a great thing, isn't it? Isn't it great? Hope is a wonderful thing. Hope is a wonderful um, thing. And I think certainly um, the podcasts we've done so far, I think every reason why we can be filled with hope, exactly. Also, some great advice,
3: exactly. And let's let's kick off then with some great advice from Mister John Ronson uh, on the very first blank podcast.
1: Well, okay. I wa- I, the first thing I wanted to say was that um, I was quite late to the, the John Ronson party, <laughs> I'm afraid.
0: It's um, <laughs> only the words John Ronson party so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I <think> in Congress, <laughs> given the fact that I never go to any parties, parties. Yeah, <laughs> um, I did wonder that when I was thinking of that.
1: Um, but yeah, I mean, I was always aware of your work, but mm-hmm. um, I think I was, on a, I was doing a book um, event in Stratford, and it was a long train journey, and I was in... Um, like the train station bookshop and how to be publicly, uh, so you've been publicly yeah. shamed. So you've been publicly yeah, yeah, shamed. So right. you've been publicly shamed. How to be publicly shamed. A guide on how to be publicly shamed. Yeah, sorry. So you've been publicly shamed, do beg my pardon, yeah. um, was there. And I, um, I I mean, I've always been interested in social media anyway. I've done, done some freelance work in the past. And so I sort of picked that up and I was really intrigued by it. And then I remember reading it on the train all the way there and I remember being really pleased the next day when I had a gap between events so I could just go in a cafe and carry on reading it because I you know was so enthralled by it yeah but it did give me a mild form of panic I was feeling very <laughs> yeah. anxious well and that was deliberate I yeah, mean
0: yeah, I deliberately yeah. wanted to make people feel anxious <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I, I, the, the, the image as I was writing that book the image that kept coming into my mind was the woman lost in the forest in the Blair Witch Project. Oh, yeah, <laughs> too <totally. Yeah. laughs> yes. And I thought, I want people to feel like that woman.
1: <laughs> I definitely felt like her, yeah. yeah.
0: And, um, yeah, I think...
1: Um, I remember thinking at the time, um, this feels like a book that was really hard to write, and I wondered if yes. that was a fair assessment.
0: It was a very hard book to write for, for many reasons. Um, reason, The first reason... Is that nobody wanted to be in it? Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like no one yeah. wanted to talk. Everybody because I was basically getting people to talk about the, the worst moments of their lives. Yeah. I mean, you know, you make you, you make some kind of mistake, Twitter destroys you, so you feel like humiliated. Mm. Part of you feels um, ashamed and humiliated. Part of you feels like that the victim of identity theft. Um. You know, because you're being judged for some tiny little slither of your life mm. by people who don't know anything about you. You know, I'm not talking about public figures. I'm talking about some private individual. Yeah. So you've got all of these complicated and very negative feelings. That sense of once you've been, because basically, what is a public shaming? But it's a excommunication from the community. Yeah, you're being told you're not good enough. Yeah. So, you have, so you're feeling all of those things and you're believing it and you're reading every negative tweet about you and you're contemplating suicide or self-harm. You fall into a depression. And then John fucking Ronson comes along <laughs> wants you to relive the whole D- thing. D- D- the whole yeah. Sorry, mess so, up again. Yeah. Just you got over it. Yeah. yeah. Well, some some of the people I was contacting were right in the middle of yeah. it and then others, it, it had just passed and they were just beginning to get on with their lives. Yeah. So that was the first problem. Nobody wanted to be here there. Yeah. The second problem is that there was no clear narrative structure, and I really believe in narrative arcs in nonfiction. I'm not a fan of the kind of nonfiction where where all the sort of narrative standards slip, where you just where a book starts with you know I'm going to tell you why alternative medicine is bad, and then the whole book is why alternative medicine is bad. bad, It's like why why can't a why can't a nonfiction book have the same ambition as a as a novel, yeah. so those were two of the reasons. The third reason was, it was really anxiety-inducing writing that book. Mm. I, I was, I felt like I was seeing a side of humanity that I didn't actually think existed. A side, yeah. sort of, cru- well, it's more than cruelty. It's lots of social scientists have said there's a says says say that violence is worse when it's being committed for moral purposes yeah so if you feel like you're killing somebody for morality that you've got morality on your side the violence is often worse and so that's what happens during a lot of social media Mm. shamings they're 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 word you know they're, they're they're more brutal because the people doing it are doing it in the, in the cause of morality. They think
3: they're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. For the right
0: thing. And sometimes, you know, obviously not all social media shavings are the same. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. Like somebody yeah. has done something really bad yeah. th- and they need to be made advantage of. But quite often it's just some stupid nothing thing that yeah. people are are turning into something huge. Yeah. So for all of those reasons, that was a long answer. But for all of <laughs> no, those no, reasons, no. Yeah, oh, yeah. So basically it would have made me anxious. Like I... I remember thinking at the time, like years ago, I did the story about a family of white separatists who, some of whom were shot by the FBI. Yes, yeah. And it was a. That's in them, isn't it? Yes, yeah. in them. This family called the Weaver family. Yeah. And it, it's a terrible story with people dying. But when I did that story, there was a part of me that was always kind of distant to it, which is basically my family is almost definitely never going to be shot by the FBI. So I feel really sorry for these people, <laughs> yeah. um, notwithstanding the fact that they were white separatists. But I felt really sorry for for the, for the injustice that was done to them. But it never like seeped its way into my bones, you know, because I just thought, well, you know, you you went to Aryan Nations for a star, like <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like you were playing with fire here. Um, whereas on, the people being destroyed and the people doing the destroying on social media are us yeah so so that was the other reason why why it was so hard for me to write because I was thinking oh my god I, I could be either one of these people I could be Justine Sacco yeah or I could be the people tearing Justine Sacco apart and my god it's like I've opened a door to a side of humanity that I actually had persuaded myself didn't exist which was you know the 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 everyday cruelty of regular nice people
1: well and i I felt like that reading as well like kind of looking over my shoulder a bit and then like oh i'm gonna check all my tweets
0: well
3: we had that today didn't we yeah because there's a thing with kirsty old has quit twitter Uh oh and (laughs) yeah so (laughs) you were going
0: through your tweets
1: today
3: because i've sometimes (laughs) been like
0: if, you know, mean to Kirsty Osop.
1: I have been mean to Kirsty <laughs> Just the Justifiably, because... I feel <laughs> <laughs> because I because I
0: live in New York, I, I a lot of my memories of British culture have sort of diminishing a bit. So you're going to have to tell me why you're mean to Kirsty <laughs> And What she's done to deserve well, it? Well,
1: I think initially because I didn't really like the sort of vacuous location, location, location program. But more recently, it's been her kind of. Uh, travails into sort of politics and okay. um well where where's she coming from from the right okay some of her parenting could be is what mainly what people have been in uproar about. and that's what this is recently. yeah and so so she came out on television yesterday i think it was saying that um she's got so frustrated with her children breaking the rules on their use of the ipad when playing games like Fortnite that in a fit of rage she'd smashed the iPads across <laughs> Over the
0: <chair>. her daughters. <laughs> daughter's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: not quite but yeah. on the chair that the daughter was sitting or the yeah. son was sitting Whoa. next to so just smashed them and said you know serves you right kind of thing and look, look what you've done yeah, yeah. <laughs> no more iPads. <laughs> look what you've made me do wow um, and and of course it, there's been a bit of a pylon yeah um uh, and i guess
3: you know fair play to hoping
1: owning up to doing uh, this, yeah. t- to performing such an act of violence in front of your children, but um, yeah.
3: But we were on a BBC article that had tweets about it, and you were looking through it, being like, uh, "I really hope one of my tweets doesn't right. end up on this article." I've because that's
1: it. happened to me before when I've not in a pile on so much, yeah. but like with you know, sometimes it's been like a positive thing, maybe a yeah, you know, like someone like
0: you've said something funny about uh, the Olympics,
1: yeah, yeah. or I've <laughs> or, or, or been really kind about <laughs> someone who's <laughs> passed away, and you think, "Oh, that's nice; right. they've, yeah. they've, they've considered me." Worthy. <laughs> famous enough I've got enough <laughs> followers to, worth, to be worthy enough to be on the BBC News but yeah I was slightly thinking oh no because I you know because I I didn't send my, my tweet wasn't that unkind I just sort of said wouldn't it be nice if she possibly given the iPads to charity or um, right. you know or uh, just confiscated them confiscated or them or turn yeah. the Wi-Fi off you know maybe not smashing them against yeah. the, a chair was probably the best kind of cool. yeah. but anyway so she's, she's f- fled Twitter after this furore today Um today right yeah okay (laughs) so so uh, i guess uh, maybe not enough people are reading your book (laughs) yeah it's
0: funny when i i i should say i opted out like um with every book I've, i've written uh I've always thought okay I've spent you know 3 years 4 years whatever writing on writing this book I'll do as much promotion for this book as people want because I want to give it like a, as much of a chance as possible but what normally happens is that that promotion has a inherently finite period so with the psychopath test i was probably promoting that book for i don't know six months maybe eight months something like that and then the interview requests stopped and that was fine (laughs) (laughs) so you've been publicly shamed the interview requests never stopped uh um and I became, as you probably know from following me on Twitter, I became Mr. Shame. Yeah. My friend John Safran calls me a shaming imam. <laughs> 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 Every time anyone gets shamed. you got the go to shame man. I mean, <laughs> and the yeah. go to guy. And so it was getting ridiculous. It was getting, A, it was taking up all my time. Yeah. B, it was becoming unseemly. Uh, mainly because, like, for a whole generation of people, I was just like Mr. Shame. Like, they didn't know anything else about me except for I was the. Twat who pops up every time someone's <laughs> i'm feeling bad for ashamed. bringing it up now <laughs> yeah. so so i upped it out so yeah. so i think i deliberately um i think i probably in doing that um cut cut the, the shelf life of the book down a little bit actually because believe it, i mean i turned down shame interviews i don't know five a week probably maybe mm. more so I think the book would probably be out there a little bit more if I hadn't stopped doing that. But I I just felt it. there's a real danger for a writer to get trapped inside a subject mm. matter. But do get, you
3: not think that book will, will always be relevant?
0: Um, yes. I, I think it, it was... Uh, I think me and Monica Lewinsky in particular were, started grappling with this before anyone else did. Mm. So I think we... I think the two of us, and her TED Talk and my book came out practically the same time, mm. a couple of weeks apart, mm. and I think we sort of started the argument with, with the ones who started getting people thinking about social media shaming yeah. so I think that book will always be, will always have its sort of place in the culture for yeah. being the first book to look at the malevolent power of social media but I'm sure other books will come along that will sort of take over
1: Mm. I wonder if Melania
0: might write one, do you think? I wonder. um, (laughs) Yeah, I wonder what to think about Melania. My my instinct, actually, is that Melania... I could be wrong. I mean, this is just a guess. My instinct is that Melania is probably sincere with this stuff. I think she's probably you know wishes to fuck she wasn't married to donald trump and wishes <laughs> yeah. she wasn't in the white house yeah. and this is her sincere way but who knows yeah. but but that's my guess anyway but i guess
1: maybe
3: has to put the blinds up yeah. when coming to her own husband's tweets you you, yeah. see, you seem to have a real empathy for people and I, is that a way you're able to connect to these people that don't want to be interviewed for uh the shaming book or even someone like melania you, you seem to have a quite sort of E- empathy is your first way in is that, is that fair
0: yeah I'd say so I always and once in a while I, I, I find that the empathy was misplaced and that the person yeah you know there are people out there with sketchy character traits yeah. who that as much as you try to to humanize them you just can't do it yeah. so that uh, that does happen from time to time with me um, but it's always definitely always good to go in with a sort of open mind and open heart and from a place of empathy. Because most of, you know, m- many times, most times going in with that approach, uh, you you do, it does reap its rewards. Plus it's just the way that I naturally am anyway. Yeah. Uh, as more now than before. I think when I was younger, I was more ambitious and more into what can this story do for me in my career Mm -hmm. but that all changed i'd say uh, 15 years ago maybe Mm -hmm. um where i suddenly realized i don't really have anything left to prove like and i'm doing okay
2: yeah
0: i'm getting older and do i really wanna do i do i really you know what? What? What do you want to do, do yeah. in your life, sort yeah. of in terms of ethics yeah. and yeah. Uh, and morality? So, so I just and as you get older, you accumulate the flotsam and jetsam of, or the mistakes you've made and the baggage and the mental health issues and all you know all those things. And so when you realise that, oh my God, I'm just a bag of, you know mental health issues and um, all of that stuff then how can you not approach another person with with empathy because they're
3: probably going to be very similar they're going to have their own flotsam and jetsam and 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 mental health issues and stuff
0: exactly so i think it's really important to to approach people with empathy for for all of those reasons as i say once in a while somebody's mental health condition has made them cold and manipulative and untrustworthy and you do find people like that and they do exist Mm. and so then you can't be like a dupe Mm. you have to you have to so I think when you're doing a story there has to be both empathy and curiosity but also truth like you can't be afraid to to tell the truth
2: yeah
3: be that positive or negative
0: Yeah. yeah yeah it is what it is you know
3: um
0: yeah yeah.
3: And do, are you are you a sort of believer in people? Because that's the impression I'm getting. And I think, Charles, yeah. you and I quite see the good in people. So, yeah, that's oh, how I oh, feel I like so, I am. Apart from Kirsty also.
2: <laughs> <laughs> is, that, uh, is that sort of person you are as well, John? Even Kirsty, sorry. <laughs> yes.
0: Uh, yeah. Certainly in terms of storytelling. I mean, on a, on, a, on a human level, I'm quite introverted. So I tend not to, I don't go to parties. I tend to turn down most social invitations uh, and i tend to, so on a on a human level i tend to stay home a lot yeah um and just be by myself well when, when, you know when my wife's out um but on a work level on a storytelling level very much yeah it's all about it's all about people shared humanity kindness curiosity
2: yeah. and so
3: on that's that's how like we as humans are gonna get fo- progress isn't it by getting yeah. on I yeah, get really frustrated when people don't kind of see it that way.
0: I think so. It kills me that, that mod- being a moderate, being a sort of centrist. I mean, I know those those terms have various political connotations. Yeah, yeah. but But what I think of those terms, I just think of listening to people, talking to people, Trying to come up with some kind of consensus. But of course what's happening now in both this yeah, country yeah, and the yeah. America is the pendulum is it's swinging crazily yeah. back and forward and the people in the middle are are being seen and I wouldn't I'm not saying in the middle in terms of like I see a little bit of Trump that I like. Just to make that clear. So yeah. I was going to
2: ask you what bit little bit can yeah. you see. <laughs> um,
0: but what I mean is Um it's funny, actually. What popped into my head when I went quiet just then was I just gave a college talk up in Michigan, in Horton, Michigan, last week. And I made I did two talks, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. And in the morning, I made an anti-Trump comment on the stage. And this guy came up to me, and it turns out that this college in Michigan, it's a technical college, and there's quite a lot of Trump supporters in the in the audience. So one of them came up to me and said, you know, I heard your comment this morning. So are you trying to tell me... The um, all of Trump's voters are racist, and I was like, no, like that yeah. was like nothing to do with what I said <laughs> on the stage. And yeah. I don't think all of Trump's voters nice. are racist. No. I do think um, a, a good deal of the ones the who aren't racist did willingly he blind won't. themselves <laughs> yeah. to to the yeah. to the shit that Trump yeah. has said yeah. from day one. Yeah. Um, but but you know, but being up in that college in Michigan did make me think, you know, these people aren't monsters. Of
3: course not, yeah. Um, mm.
0: A lot of them voted for Trump for economic reasons yeah. and not for social, politi- social p- political reasons. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so refusing to listen to them and mocking people, yeah. you know, which is what the left does all the time, yeah. you know, yeah. mocking yeah. people who who even wants to interview them, Yeah. you know. it's, it's just drives me nuts. Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean it is volatile on both sides, really, isn't it? At yeah, the moment? yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and, and again, yeah. you, you, you—we go going back to sort of Twitter and social media. You see it so much yeah. on there, and it's so laid no,
2: bare, not it? Yeah,
0: that kid, that kid who comes up to me, you know, in Michigan, saying he he came up with the most defensive thing he could possibly have said, the yeah. mo- which had which bore no relation to whatever it was about Trump and yeah. said on stage. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But
3: that's kind of a default position, I think, when people get feel offended or that you're attacking them. Mm. Is that they go to the most extreme defence or whatever possible thing? When actually, yeah. nothing's black and white. There are so many more nuances in everything in the political spectrum, in in gender. There's so many more nuances, but I guess we, we find it as humans difficult to maybe convey that. So we have to go to and the extreme. We're choosing mm.
1: a side. We want to choose a side.
3: Yeah. yeah,
0: and I understand. I mean, particularly what particularly with both Trump and Brexit, there's a real imperative to choose a side, yeah. I, yes. and I do understand that, but. You know, both people take it. To see. I mean, it happened to be last week. I decided, to, it happened to be last week and I decided to do something about it. I, I had a guy, ten, a journalist with 10,000 Twitter followers making some joke, the context of which, and this is entirely because I wrote about Justine Sacco in my public shaming book. Um, probably too long a story. Justin Sacco was a kind of liberal who made a liberal joke mocking privilege yeah. which came over like a grotesque privilege joke of
2: yeah.
0: you know uh sort of holding her own privilege so yeah you know, she wasn't entirely innocent although i would say that it didn't take me very long to work out what her joke meant yeah um, so I, you know um, the joke was going to africa hope i don't get aids just yeah. kidding i'm white yeah. what she was trying to do and it took me five seconds yeah. to work this out wasn't that you don't have to be Inspector Clouseau. <laughs> yeah. Was was say was make fun of her own. It was bubble was satire. Of, okay. Yeah, she was satirising her was <laughs> own bubble of <laughs> yeah. privilege. Yeah, um, wasn't very good, but it's not yeah. anything that South Park and Randy Newman no, absolutely don't not. do. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, a few people decided that she's a racist, and I must be a racist for writing nicely about her. So last week, some guy with ten thousand Twitter followers tweets some joke the context of which was i was a nazi sympathizer so i just (laughs) saw you know so i woke up and i just thought this crosses a line (laughs) so so i went for it and i and I, i i i tweeted him and i said look we can dm if you like i'll follow you so you can dm me if you like and and he blocked me for saying that uh, wow. and so instead of, okay, con- yeah. instead of having a conversation so he, with him, he blocked me yeah, yeah. Wow. so then i wrote to his um and this is not something i do normally i yeah. need to tell you but i wrote to his editor and said like it's not cool to call a liberal jewish journalist a nazi sympathizer i must admit i added the jewish bit because (laughs) i could tell that he was a big aficionado of left-wing identity (laughs) politics (laughs) and i thought if i if i point out that he's jewish (laughs) yeah that's that's gonna really make him feel bad about what he did
2: so (laughs) uh,
0: anyway he then publicly apologized to me so then i said look you really don't you don't have to publicly apologize to me Please delete this tweet. Yeah, Yeah. So he did, and now it's all over. But I'm I'm glad I did it. Yeah,
3: But it would have been simple as him deleting the tweet early on. Yeah. We would have just eradicated all that. I
0: didn't even want an apology. What I wanted was for me and him to have a little conversation in direct messaging where I could say to him, look, Justine Sacco is not a racist. I'm not a racist for supporting uh, her, and it's not cool for you to, you know, be this hyperbolic about me mm. because our reputations really matter and you've got 10,000 Twitter followers. If one of those Twitter followers has a hundred thousand followers or a million followers and decides to retweet it, yeah. suddenly I'm a Nazi sympathizer yeah, all yeah. over yeah. Twitter. Justin so Sacco
3: had 150 yeah, followers,
0: 170 yeah. followers, 170, and, and, 170, yeah. and her tweet was was retweeted 1,220,000 oh, times. That is insane. Isn't it? Yeah, insane. so that's what I wanted to say to him, but and he could have avoided all of that, yeah. you know, all the public apology and everything by just having a conversation yeah. with me. Yeah. But as you said, people don't want to have conversations anymore. No. no.
3: They don't. No. But speaking not speaking of conversations, what for? You, what leads to you for ideas? Because it seems from the the shaming book, it was a glance, wasn't it? It was a glance in a in a, in a yeah hotel bar. Well,
0: actually, no. That was my my butterfly effect. Oh, that was a butterfly on, effect. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, was right. podcast. which yeah. was Yes, <laughs> yeah. um, it's mist. It's mystery. Is is the thing that, that I'm always looking for. It's try. It's wanting to solve some kind of mystery and then you have the instinct so that so a mystery is there i want to try and solve it i've i don't know what's going to happen but my suspicion is whatever happens will be interesting mm-hmm. and hopefully whatever happens will be both funny and, and exciting but also will shed light on the way the world works yeah. and you don't know all of those things when you start on a story but so you've. So I suppose I've, I've got a little bit of. I've sort of earned a little bit of instinct that okay, if I do that story, those things I know are the things that I need to make a good story may well happen. Yeah. So so that's what I'm looking for. But I wouldn't say it's conscious. It's you. You tend to stumble on things. But
3: you are taking a, a leap of faith, then, aren't you? With Every each time. Thing you
0: do. Mm. And it's not just a leap of faith. It's a leap of well, it's a leap of money because I'm yeah, paying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, there's been many times I've flown to. Uh, you know, Georgia or wherever and spent, you know, $5,000 You just being there for a week trying to get a story off the ground, and it hasn't happened. But you just have to deal with the fact that that's just a part of it.
3: But that, I mean, again, we talk about the creative process on this podcast a lot and that is difficult, I guess, when you are working on something and your heart's in something. Mm. And it doesn't, it doesn't happen. And, and how do you sort of oh, give up on that?
0: Before I answer that question, some, I'm being perpetually tweeted. I just want to see if it's... No, you're fine. <laughs> it's not
2: the journalist, is <laughs> it? It's all
0: fine. Yeah, no, it's fine. Um, well, there's been a couple of times in my life where I've gone down a wrong path. And... Um, and um And it's depressing mm. The The time that really leaps out Is I wrote a story Probably What year are we now? 2018 Probably about 12 years ago I wrote a story For The Guardian Called Who Killed Richard Cullen And it was a story About a guy Who commits suicide Because he's out of his depth On in credit cards mm. And this is before The crash of 2008 mm. This must have been About 2006 maybe Uh and I decided to do a story to try and work out why that happened. Did he have secret vices? Or it turns out he doesn't have secret vices. You know, he, he, All he really did was subscribe to like gardening magazines and stuff. He was the most wow. ordinary guy in the world. But he got slightly out of his depth with one card, so he got another card to pay off the debt on that one. And then he got ensnared in all of these tricks that the credit card companies pull on people to keep you in servitude to them. So I wrote a piece about that, where I discovered these incredible secrets that credit card companies, a lot of stuff that relates very strongly to what's happening with Cambridge Analytica today. Mm. So it's all that kind of stuff. It's basically an early incarnation of Cambridge Analytica. Okay, so data
1: harvesting. Yeah, a lot of data
0: harvesting, list-broking. I mean it was stunning stuff anyway my American publisher said you need to write a whole book about the credit cards writer uh, ministeric goats about the credit card industry <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I spent like about I'd say six months trying to do it and I just couldn't do it mainly because I wasn't mature enough back then I'd meet these list brokers and these data people and they were they were boring. They were really boring. And their lives were boring. They just went into the office every day and did their thing. And, you know, it was mainly bureaucracy. And I just couldn't find a way to make it light up on the page. And I, and I, after six months, I, I quit and didn't do it. And if I'd carried on and the book had come out, it probably would have come out just when the crash happened. Yeah, yeah. And, uh. yeah, I'd have been, yeah you know, Laughing. Yeah, I'd have been laughing. And, and, um, but it didn't work out like that for that reason if i did it now i would probably find a way to do it but back then i still needed my characters to be colorful and a bit eccentric i I sort of needed those ingredients to make the story work that's why that's why it didn't work Mm. at uk export finance we ensure that no viable uk export fails by providing government-backed finance and insurance so if you want to expand into new markets we can help you win contracts with attractive finance terms. If you've got an overseas order, we can help you fulfill it with a working capital loan. And if you're entering a challenging market, we can ensure that you get paid with the right insurance. We've helped hundreds of companies to win contracts, fulfill orders, and get paid. To get the exporter's edge, search UK Export Finance. I am the identity thief. I make a fortune by pretending to be people like you. And I'd like to keep it that way. That's why I don't want you to
2: sign up to which Scam Alerts, our free service that keeps you up to date with the latest scams. No wonder scammers don't want you to sign up. Visit witch.co.uk slash scam alerts.
3: Yeah, so so this podcast mm. is about it's about blank moments. About, and a, and no, what you've described there nice. obviously is, is a blank moment. Yeah. And there must have been many others, I'm sure, in your career. Do how do you sort of deal with them? Do you have a is it case by case or do you have a certain way of trying to work through them? And actually maybe giving up in a way or deciding not to follow an idea is potentially braver maybe than carrying it on sometimes. Yeah,
0: well that was, and by the way, I would say that that book didn't entirely die because some of the ideas I took from that research and some of the thoughts that I had uh, turned into The Psychopath Test, right. which, mm, which yeah. came out in 2011. So I do sort of see The Psychopath Test as, as in, a, in its weird way being being that book that I abandoned. Yeah. Although the two books, it would have been nothing like this. Yeah. yeah. Um, hmm. Well, one trick I have is I always work on two or three different projects at once. Oh, wow. Yeah, always. And always have. And I wake up in the morning... And as I walk from the bedroom to my little office down the corridor, I can think to myself, if I'm working on two projects simultaneously, I can think to myself, which, which do I fancy working on today? Which wow. do I have more passion for today? So that really helps. Wow. Because if you hit a wall with something, yeah. quite often it's just time. Yeah. Like if you hit a wall with something, go back to it a couple of days later and you can work out how to fix it. Yeah. So, if you're working on two or three projects at once, you hit a wall with something. Instead of just sitting there blankly for a few days, or or you've hit a wall and now you're just staring at the wall. Yeah. Move on to another project and then then go back to it. That's fascinating,
3: later. though, because I find when I'm I find my main problem is working on too many things, and I find it hard to concentrate uh, on one thing. And any little lapse, okay. I go to something else. But for you, it's it's a. Uh, it yeah. encourages you, I guess. Oh,
0: absolutely. I love it. Uh, particularly if they're not even in the same genre. So at yeah. the moment, right now, I'm working on a an, audible, an audio series. And it's it's really an Audible original. Audible aren't really doing... Audible in America aren't really mm. doing podcasts anymore. They're doing Audible original. So I'm working on one of those. And I'm writing a screenplay. And so they're so different from each other. That really helps as well. Mm. I can think very clearly like do i want to be writing a screenplay today or do i want to be sending my producer edit notes for of the interview that that's a very clear yeah, distinction
1: yeah
0: yeah that's and is it do, yeah. do
1: you find that easy to flip from because obviously they're very different
2: I yeah
0: very easy yeah. i have like i've got about four hours in the morning where i'm really clear-headed and i work at my absolute best so what i tend to do is is do the hardest stuff during those four hours so writing a screenplay is harder than sending my producer edit notes <laughs> uh because that said notes it's, like it's listening to an interview yeah. and basically doing the time codes of the best bits i mean that's yeah. pretty fucking easy <laughs> so as long as you know as long as you've got the brain where you can identify what the best bits are yeah, yeah. That, that's easy yeah. uh so what i tend to do most days is the first couple of hours of the day is something hard something that's going to make your brain hurt yeah and then when your brain starts to hurt, I just switch to the easier thing, like the edit notes.
3: Yeah. And are you quite kind of hard on yourself then? Because you'll have some days where you get up in the morning, and even in those four hours, it yeah. might not be happening, or it might be more of a slog. Do you force yourself through it?
0: Well, fortunately, if if you're working on a bunch of different things at once, what's, what often happens is the process, you know, because... Different parts of the process are harder and easier than others. So, for instance, with a piece of writing, um, if I've been working on it for a few months and all that's left now is going back to it and taking out the superfluous words and just shining it up a little bit and holding it down a little bit, that's really easy and fun. So if I wake up in the morning and my brain's just not in it and so on, which doesn't happen very often, I have to say, because I, I'm so tied in with my work. Yeah. I mean, most of my life is about working. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just go to one of the easier things, like like a piece of work that's almost finished, and all I have to do is take out a couple of words. Yeah. Uh, but I, so I do work pretty much seven days a week. I'd say I took three days off about about a month ago. We went to the Catskills in upstate New York nice. for a little mm-hmm. holiday. And that's literally the only days off I've had all year. Wow. But that's kind of stupid, really.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
3: Are you good with days off?
0: I was in the Curtis schools. I loved it. Loved it. Because we were talking Uh,
1: to a a screenwriter um, in another pod, and he was saying that um, he will sit down sometimes to have some time with his daughter, and they'll watch a movie or something together. And he said he's looking at the screen, but he's not watching... Yeah. The film because he's just got stuff on his brain all the time, and yeah. I don't like that sort of not being able to switch off, yeah, from the moment. But there's
0: something good about that. um I mean, a lot of creative people will identify with this. Like if you're right in the middle of a story, everything reminds you of the story. You walk yeah. past the bank, and there's an ad in the window of the bank that gives you a new insight into your story, yeah. uh and that's a great feeling, you know, because that's mm. you sort of know that you're so deep into something. Yeah. You're thinking about this harder than anyone is. Yeah. So, actually, I think that I see that as like a good, I yeah, mean, it's, it's bad good. parenting. But it's, <laughs> yeah. But it's good work. Yeah.
1: Well, that's what I sort of think we felt guilty because I do that as well. Right. I think it's the guilt kind of weighing over, over us a little bit, perhaps.
0: That's true. But yeah. And they, they can tell, well, my son can certainly tell. You know, the other day I was with my son and he was playing me something and I got a text and I looked down at the text and it was like something urgent work wise. And I thought, but you know what? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna just get up and leave. So I thought. Um, um, but it was, and I'm sure he could tell. Like, yeah. I'm sure he could tell that I was half of me had vanished into that
3: text. Yeah. But it's yeah. hard these days when, when emails are in your hand and yeah. text messages. Yeah, that it's it. very hard to switch off from that because it is it's right in your face every mm. second of the day. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. Mm. So it's not as being you know. Twenty years ago, that wouldn't have happened.
0: Yeah, being up in the cat skills, though. I didn't. I had <laughs> none of those thoughts. <laughs>
3: It's like an advert
1: for you the Catskill. Yeah, yeah. Need to go up there more often, maybe. Well, yeah. we just bought a little house. Oh, well then. Uh, not
0: actually in the mountains, because that's a bit too isolating, mm. but in a little village just the other side of the Hudson River from the Catskill. Oh, so I do intend to actually calm things down a little yeah. bit in my life. Uh, and by the way, my son's 20 now, and so yeah. he doesn't, you know, I, we yeah. don't do those things sure. anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you about the butterfly effect. Sure. obviously that's your most recent kind of work um and um i just what well, how did that come about to start with
0: um so after my public shaming book came out it was quite bruising not that like i don't want to over dramatize it because i would say that 90% of everything that happened when that book came out was really positive yeah. like most people love it it was just a very small number of very vociferous social justice people who had decided without reading the book that my book must be an attack on social justice. And I I know that for sure because, like, no one who reads the book would have those feelings. It's a thoughtful... You know, I'm not a polemicist. I'm not Jordan Peterson. Uh, I'm a thoughtful, humanistic, Mm. moderate. Like... um, God, I sound like... I sound like I wouldn't want to hang out with me. (laughs) Um, But... (laughs) Um so anyway that was a, yeah. so so when the, but I was sort of bruised by the noise it was a very noisy book yeah. uh when it came out it was like throwing a hand grenade into the world uh and I didn't enjoy the noise including the positive noise I just didn't enjoy any of the noise mm. um so I wanted to do something that was easy and fun and and I happened to be I happened to remember this thing that happened when I was at this hotel in Los Angeles so I was meeting a porn star called Princess Donna this is from my public shaming book. She yeah. has a very small cameo part in the book. So I'm at the Chateau Marmont. I don't stay there anymore. <laughs> it's a too hipster doof, um But I was staying there that night. So the guy phones up and says, your guest is waiting for you downstairs. So I went downstairs. And everybody in the hotel reception was dressed exactly like I'm dressed now, which is in great muted greys and <laughs> hoodies. Like, like the sort of, you know, yeah. my hoodie It's like the kind of Burka of the uh, intellectual <laughs> sort of nebbishy Jewish writer, because you just don't want to be, you still you want to be hidden. Yeah. yeah. So everybody who was in in the lobby, looked gr- muted and hidden, except for Princess Donna, who looked like this kind of great mad peacock, <laughs> in this very bright dress and very high heels, and she just looked like you know she lived a life, um, you know uh that what's that look? and that song about your face is a map of the world, you know her, mm. her uh that's what her face looked like. Yeah. And so I walked towards her thinking, God, I'm so looking forward to talking to this woman because she lived you know, she's lived some life. Mm. And I looked over at the hotel receptionist and he was looking at her with a look she was obviously some kind of sex worker. I mean whether he recognised her as a porn star or not, I don't mm. know. But he was looking at her with a look of total contempt. Like what, what are you doing in my hallowed hotel reception? Mm. And by the way, this is the Chateau Marmont, which has got a uh, yeah reputation for being a kind of loose hedonistic. So John yeah. Belushi died of a drug overdose. Yeah, that oh, wow, yeah. yeah, but um, still, that's that was the look that he yeah. that mm. he had on his face, and I'd, and that look just stayed with me because, kind of cheekily, in a way, because. People on, people, what I'm trying to say is that I'm really interested in stigmatized and demonized people Mm. who are sort of unpopular, stigmatized and demonized people. So like Justine Sacco from my public shaming book is a classic example of that. That's a person who was wronged, but she's not. She wouldn't win a popularity contest of wronged people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and I you know, I, I but I think, you know, as I say and say you've been perfectly ashamed, a wronged person is a wronged person even when they're an unfashionable wronged mm. person. Yeah. So and I felt that way a little bit about porn people. Right. I thought it's kind of the same thing. It's like I bet that hotel receptionist sees himself as a very woke person yeah. yet he was still looking at Princess Donna with disgust mm. and I just thought that that was so interesting you know yeah. so that's, that's, that was my starting point. Mm.
3: And that that one look yeah, leads you down look. a rabbit hole yep.
0: Yeah um, It's good to you know try and keep your eyes open for those moments yes. mm. They don't happen that often in your life mm. you know.
3: But uh, clearly you see them more than other people because this is why you do what, what you do.
0: Yeah although I'd be lying if I said I was a kind of um, uh, savant at those <laughs> identifying identify those yeah. moments because I'm sure I miss a bunch of yeah, them, yeah. <laughs> but luckily, once in a while, there's, there was that moment. I remember, um, it's a bit like it's a bit like when I saw The Sixth Sense, is that the name yeah, of that movie? Yeah. And in the opening <laughs> credits. Uh, Like the opening credits, I'm sitting in the cinema and I'm thinking, what do I know about this film? I know there's a twist Mm -hmm. and I know that Bruce Willis sees dead people. Oh, I bet the twist is that Bruce Willis is dead. <laughs> 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 and, <laughs> and once in a while, once in a while, that happens. So there was a moment like we're in yeah, the movie yeah, for it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was a moment at like about 2000. Did you
1: turn to the person next to you and say that? No, but, that but to the, the whole
0: <laughs> movie.
3: I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, <laughs> he's obviously dead. <laughs> so. Do you know that? In, you know, you know, in in. Um, places like China and stuff where they don't speak English and American movie titles get translated for their for their country and then you translate it back and it means something different. Yeah. Well, in China, The Sixth Sense is translated as He's a Ghost. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, the really? worst title for that movie. <laughs> Give the plot away, why don't you? You just wouldn't want to see it. That's yeah. really funny. Yes,
0: yeah. Um, yeah, so there was a moment in about 2009 which is similar to that where I thought um, many uh, leading... Harvard psychologists and psychiatrists all believe that psychopaths rule the world, that you're much more likely to have a psychopath at the top of the tree than a bottom. And I thought, oh, why don't I learn how to spot psychopaths and then journey into the corridors of power to see if I can spot (laughs) any? And that was one of those six moments for me. It's like, whatever happens is going to be. And you got quite far. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what, oh, and another one of those moments was right back at the beginning of my career when my friend Fenton Bailey, who's a documentary producer, he, he makes RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, I love that show. Yeah. And Fenton um, said to me, you should do something on conspiracy theories. And Fenton was thinking, like, boring, like, who killed JFK? Yeah, yeah, stuff. Sure, okay. And I remember saying to him, we were standing on a roof in Brixton, I remember saying to him... Uh, well, there's one conspiracy theory that's really interesting to me which is all these disparate groups all believe that there's a shadowy cabal secretly ruling the world from inside a secret room yeah um maybe i should hook up with them and <laughs> we'll try and get into the secret yeah. room and Fenty was like yeah i suppose you could do that and um, but that was yeah. another one of those moments and that was the, that was the builder burp yeah that, mm-hmm. and so that became my book then yeah the yeah. psychopath thing became my book the psychopath test so once in a while you have these little moments where you think, shit, this is, they are kind of like yeah. eureka moments, but I, but I don't have
3: th- that many of them. But you must know at that moment when it happens, like, uh, here we go, this is yeah, the moment. Yeah, it
0: fulfills all those ingredients that I mentioned at the beginning of this interview. Yeah. It's, you, you realize in a flash, it's like everything that I want in a story, mystery, comedy, adventure, um, big emotions and some insight and maybe all of those things will give you some insight into the way the world works yeah. you know what those diff- all those things have in common is is they all contain that i think yeah and i think the look in the hotel contains that because then that gave me permission to to go into the valley the san fernando valley and hang around you know with on porn sets with porn people yeah i was going to ask
1: you how you went from there to to the to the free porn
0: well what mm. And oh, I'll tell you what it was. It was meeting this woman called Stoya. There's a porn star called Stoya who's in, in insanely beautiful. She's like, The Village Voice put her on the front cover and said the cover was the. the the most beautiful woman in New York is a porn star and <laughs> I remember her telling me that being on the village voice cover has done her so much good because it's sort of it's destigmatizes yeah her. sure yeah yeah so banks are more likely to give her checking accounts because she's been on the cover of the village voice yeah uh and it, yeah so it was Stoya I, I met Stoya no what happened was I started thinking so I don't know anything about porn People at all. I don't know anything about their lives. What are their lives like? So I started reading blogs and I found a blog written by Stoya about where she was being mean about Fabian. She was saying there's this guy called Fabian who's ruining all of our lives and he runs this site called Pornhub and basically it's a depository of pirated content and Fabian's getting incredibly rich and we're all losing all of our money and there's nothing we can do about it. So then I went to visit Stoya in. where she lives in New York. She lived. And most porn people live in either Nevada or California, but she lives in New York, and so we talked about it and. Um, and yeah, that's how I came to to Fabian, and then that became really interesting because Fabian became a kind of metaphor for all tech, yeah. like it's Uber. You know, yeah, the Pornhub yeah. story, is the Uber stories yeah. and we we like you know we utilise those things, so we're all part of the problem. We and
3: that goes back to, goes back to the shaming book. We're, we're all yeah. kind of in it.
0: Yes, exactly. Which to me is much more satisfying than the early stories I would do, which would be about look at those people over there. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, so I remember my friend Emmy, the other moment for me was um, my friend Emmy the Great, who's a singer-songwriter. Yeah. yeah. yeah, uh, At the very beginning of this process, I was saying, we were talking about sort of pirated content, and she was saying, you know, we've all lost so much of ways that we can make money. And I said, well, you know, because one way that porn people make pay, make up their loss of income is through uh, escorting. So I said to her, well, at least you don't have to have sex with your fans. And she was like, well, not yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I remember, So that conversation <laughs> yeah. stayed in my head as well. Because Emmy was being really funny about yeah. it. And so those were all the starting points. And then we had this amazing breakthrough on the set of... Stepdaughter cheerleader orgy.
1: This is such a catchy title. Yeah, you know,
0: yeah. <laughs> where so many things happened on that set. That was one of those days where, I'm like, fuck, you know, my life changed. On <laughs> <Stepdaughter> <laughs> orgy but one of them was because of the title. Yeah, uh, so. In the old days, porn films were called things like The Billionaire's Blonde. <laughs> and these sounds days, like Mills and Boone. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. And these days they're called Stepdaughter Cheerleader Orgy and it's yeah. because of search engine optimization. Yeah. That's, uh They they have to work out what the most searched terms are and then make films that, that uh, abide by those terms. So that was a big revelation to me. Uh, and then I remember saying to the director, Mike Quasar, so are there any porn people who just aren't searchable who fall through the net who you can't employ because they're because they're just not keyword searchable and he said yes if you're 25 years old in the valley now um doesn't matter how good looking you are how you know it doesn't matter anything it's very very hard for you to get work because you're too old to be a teen and you're too young to be a milf yeah So it's the fallow years between teen and MILF, (laughs) and so that was... At
3: least you got the MILF years to look forward to. Well,
0: exactly. I said, at what age should they become a MILF and become employable again? Yeah. I said, at 30... Oh, that's depressing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, he said, unless they... Unless I actually had four kids. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so yeah. in which case, probably 29. Oh, um, yeah. So that became a huge, you know, the way, that was massively revelatory to me. And
1: is it that kind of gap? Are they the people that are going into escorting? And yeah, and also
0: and customs, and like um, yeah. which is, yeah, camming. Yes, bespoke porn. Yeah, bespoke yeah, yeah. porn, oh, where yeah, you'll yeah, make yeah. an entire porn film for one viewer. So all of that was that super interesting yeah. to me. But what was really interesting to me was, going back to that credit card thing, actually, mm. it's really similar, that you've got these rather boring... Pulling tech people who are very good at you know A/B testing yeah. or search engine optimization or, or so on, but what they're doing is is infecting uh, you know it's it's mutating the world's culture, mm-hmm. and you know so they're up in Montreal or wherever doing that, and in the valley you've got a twenty-five-year-old woman who has to go into escorting because she's not a teen and she's not no a man. male. Yeah. and those connections between decisions made on high and the impact that's having in the real world is it's endlessly interesting, yeah. and are the
1: tech. I mean, do the tech guys actually give a shit about that
2: much? No, because you
0: know, they've got cognitive dissonance. They've, yeah. they've, they, they, <laughs> they, they psychologically trick themselves into yeah. not giving a shit, like, like we all yeah. do. Yeah,
1: yeah. So they're not, maybe not aware of the consequences of what they do.
0: Yeah, they don't go to the, they don't yeah. go to porn sets. No. They, they they stay up in Montreal. There's a huge disconnect between their lives and the lives of the people who are providing the content, which is then being pirated and mm. sent on their site.
3: The SEO thing is everywhere, isn't it? Because now articles online, people will pack SEO into the URLs to get it seen. And yeah. YouTube, I do some YouTube videos and stuff. And all I'm thinking about is, who can I make a video about that's going to have a strong SEO name God. for the title? It, it really influences. And it's not just porn, it's everywhere.
0: Yeah. And as as creative people... You know, really, we we should be leading. You know, yeah, we should be amazing. We should be leading, <laughs> not following. And, yeah, and if you yeah. abide by, you know, the SEO thing, then automatically it means you're following trends Absolutely. and not yeah. creating, not leading, not not creating new insights. Yeah, um, but that's
3: a very brave and bold thing to do to break out of the pack.
0: I think you have to do it. I think you are. Uh, it's unsatisfying to do anything else. Yeah. Saying that, I don't want to give anything away too much, but I'm doing a story at the moment which it's very hard for me to say this without giving anything away. Yeah. So you know what I I, I won't. Okay. Okay. That's fair enough. Why risk it? Get? It'll be out pretty soon. Yeah. But I, um, basically, I'm doing a story at the moment which is similar thematically to stuff that people are already thinking and talking about. Okay. But. That's okay for me because I, it, it's a mystery. Yeah. And when you enter into a mystery and follow wherever it goes, you don't know where it's going to end. Yeah. So if it does end up in a place that's actually quite similar to a lot of the stuff that's in the conversation at the moment, I, th- I think that's fine. Yeah. But I, that's really oblique and I'm sorry to...
1: <laughs> no, it, don't, no. it
3: will pique people's interest, exactly. yeah. hopefully, so yeah. I get them looking out for it.
1: Yeah. How can we sort of SEO... Get that really <laughs> trending. How can we SEO this <laughs> podcast? We need to think about really.
3: Yeah. yeah. Um, is there any, is there anything out of all the work you've done that you're sort of proudest of? You look back and yeah. think, I really sort of nailed that, and I just, I'm so proud of it.
0: Uh, I'd say the tone of the Psychopath Test. I love the fact that it's a, you know it's a book about really serious things, but it's got that kind of Joseph Heller. Kurt Vonnegut, sort of absurdist.
1: Cautionary tale. As well, yeah, yeah,
0: but but then the tone, the way it's written is absurd and yeah. funny and silly, So, I, but without ever detracting from the seriousness. Of, mm. So I love the fact that I managed to create that tone for that book. I think the Justine Sacco story, actually, and So You've Been Publicly Shamed, I'm really proud of, because I think I was identifying something that nobody else had noticed.
1: Mm. It's very emotional as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Know, seeing someone, you know, reading about someone so traumatised by... Or something that could happen to all of us, as we've explained, it's just, yeah, it's quite harrowing.
0: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that nobody knew it was bad. Until my book came along, nobody knew that what happened to Justin Sacker was bad. Nobody didn't cross anyone's mind. She's like, she'll be all right. Yeah, she'll be fine. Either she deserved it. She's the daughter of a billionaire, which, by the way, she isn't. (laughs) Her dad sells carpets. But that's what people would say about her. Well, she's a, she's a billionaire's daughter. Yeah. It's a complete lie. To justify yeah. it. Yeah, it's cognitive dissonance. You, could yeah, yeah. you probably yourself. could make
3: millions selling carpets, though, couldn't you, maybe, if you sold a lot <laughs> of carpets? Yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, I clarified yeah. 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 She's not a billionaire. Yeah. Yeah. Um Those two stories I'm really proud of. Um You know, it's easier... For me to say the things that I'm not proud of. I mean, I'm, I, I feel pretty proud of most of my work. That's there's, great. There's a couple of things in The Minister at Goats I'm less proud of. I think I made a couple of creative decisions in that book. Was, that
1: so was that a harder book to write generally?
0: It was the only book I've ever written under pressure. Mm. Right. Uh, there was a lot Them had been a big success and there was a lot of pressure on me to follow it up both from Channel 4 over here and also from my Yeah, because you did
1: some documentary with David Icke, didn't you? It was that the yeah. back of them. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, so I made a couple of decisions. I think the problem with the Minister at Goats was I decided to be credulous. Um, I made this sort of creative decision that I wouldn't, that I would like dive into this may be true, this may not be true, and sort of enjoy the ambiguity, as opposed to what I would do now, which is be absolutely very clearly sort of a critical thinker and an investigative journalist to try and work out exactly what is true, what's not true. When you read The Men Goats now, there's less of an interest in trying to work out what the truth is. Yeah. Um, so in a way, it feels more like a sort of, like a fairy tale sort of maze, but so I wouldn't have written it that way. Mm. But honestly there's not much else that I'm not and there's even chapters in that book that I'm really proud of yeah. too. So but
3: you're like, clearly someone that that learns from your past mistakes. Yeah. You've mentioned quite a few already today and like clearly y- y- you recognize them. Yeah. And I guess you must have in in in, in, in past work after that learned from it and, and changed the way you do things.
0: Yeah, and become definitely become more humanist, more empathetic. Uh yeah not that i was ever i don't think i was ever a sort of authoritarian writer like i would never like go into some place full of eccentrics to say look at how ridiculous these eccentrics are look at how fabulously normal i am and (laughs) consequently a representative of what of the way the world should (laughs) work which is what some journalists in my position you know do yeah i've never so i've never done that but I, i do it even less now
3: yeah yeah. Okay, so, so at the end of the podcast, we've decided we like to, to ask people what advice you would pass on, because we're hopefully there are going to be creative people listening to this podcast mm. who have blank moments mm. in the theme of the pod. Is there anything you'd pass on in terms of dealing with those kind of moments?
0: Well, space is a good thing. Um, and you're definitely your own best editor, or I certainly see that to be true about myself, The I go back to something with a fresh eye Mm -hmm. so moving away from something and then going back to it helps hugely solves most
3: for any amount any particular amount of time or does it not matter well for me it's
0: just overnight to be honest yeah i go back to something the next morning and i can see it's it's faults Mm -hmm. and then over and over and over again until you go back to it the next morning and there's nothing you want to change and that's (laughs) when you know it's done yeah uh that's one of my big kind of uh things i've learned about how to write Uh, so that's something. Um, when you're really, it's, uh, yeah, I I think I do have something. Did you have a preconception of what the story would be?
2: Yeah.
0: And is your problem that the story isn't fulfilling what your preconception was? And if so, then get rid of that preconception and start, you know, think of yourself as like a river, you know, when, when when there's a rock in the river, the river doesn't stop, the river goes around the rock. Yeah. Uh, so I've really learned that. And in fact, when your preconception is undermined and you start to realise your story is something completely different, you know, you hit a wall because it's, you're not getting what you wanted to get. But then you suddenly realise, oh my God, if I go in that direction forget about that preconception, I'll try to take the story over this way, then often the story gets better. Yeah, Um, And I think audiences, you know, readers really like that. Oh, my God, I thought the story was going to be one thing, but now it's shifted into something. I said I'm following the writer's thought process, Mm. you know, in the way that you follow a river going around a rock.
3: They're following that journey with you Mm. as you the the twist in the story is your twist because it's happening to you
0: absolutely so if you suddenly get blocked yeah. maybe that's part of your story like it, why are you blocked
3: yeah. but it's hard to let go of preconceptions because we are we're proud animals aren't we mm. and we have these preconceptions and because you know we think we're right or whatever yeah. it's really hard to let them go mm.
0: a lot of that i think has got to do with the very british now i live in america i think i can say this this very british style of like journalism and, and you know things shows like Have I Got News For You and things like Question Time and Radio 4, it's so oppositional. It's all about people, you know, being oppositional and everyone having to defend their yes, position. Yeah. And it's bullshit. Yeah. It's really bullshit. And this oppositional, haughty bullshit that infects so much of British culture doesn't exist outside of Britain. Most no. countries have found other really interesting <laughs> ways of telling stories yeah. and doing this stuff, you yeah. know. So actually, you know, part of the reason why I think, you know, with what you just said about being proud and so yeah. on is because we're growing up in this world where, you know, on Radio 4 you have to like sternly um, defend your position and yeah. then they'll bring somebody on who will attack yeah. your position, which means you have to That's double so down even more. Yeah. And it's just, it's bullshit. Yeah. It's fake it's fake. It's it's oppositional nonsense.
3: We, we have to uh, let that go.
0: I'm not saying let it go completely, but I would say the problem in, with British culture is it relies too much on that. Mm-hmm. So there are American... So, you know, there are, like, American news shows, shows on MSNBC or CNN or whatever, which follow that format, but it's not the only thing. Yeah. Um, there's all sorts of different ways of telling stories. Yeah. And so i think there's too much reliance on that in british culture yeah. and i actually think people are beginning to get a bit sick of it i mean people don't watch if news for you anymore and no one knew in the numbers that they used to mm. and um i think people are getting a bit tired yeah. of that constant you know fake antagonism that you get on radio four in question time mm-hmm. and
3: Okay, Charles. what's your re- retort, retort to that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm publishing retorts. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I, well, agree, actually, I, I agree.
1: I totally yeah. agree with you because I think our people are getting bored of that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. And
0: yeah. actually, the fact that long form podcasts like this are, you know, have gained some popularity shows that
3: people are getting bored with that. I think yeah, think absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. they want to hear a different form of podcast, yeah. like this one, which we hope will be very successful. Yeah. <laughs> but, John, thank you so much for yeah, giving yeah, us your you time John, and us. We really, really appreciate it. That's
0: my pleasure um that is my and it was really nice to talk to you guys
3: yeah but lovely thank, thank you. you and best of luck with the next project as well we have yeah. it. thank you all.
0: well i'm doing as say, i'm doing this audible show and i'm doing this screenplay and i and i really like them both and i think they'll both be done within eight weeks
1: because the screenwriting is something you've taken you started doing more in more recent years is it?
0: yeah just really just because it's being offered to me yeah like it's not I don't have a great ambition to do it, and and, it's, and it doesn't come as easy to me as my, no. as nonfiction. But you know, if you get like Bong Joon Ho saying to you, "Do you want to yeah. co-write?" Oh
1: man, I mean, not was great. I really loved
0: yeah. it.
2: And uh, thank you. You yeah, can't yeah. turn something like that down. No.
0: Um, and actually, the screenplay I'm writing at the moment really is playing to my strengths. Actually, because it's more journalistic than uh, than entirely fictional, so I'm really enjoying it.
3: Fantastic.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, John Watson.
0: Thanks, Thanks you guys.
1: I think, um, looking back, I should probably apologise to Kirsty Allsop. Yeah, I was a little bit mean about her in that one.
3: Yeah, but Um, it was it was said with love.
1: It was, yeah, yeah. Well, I know about love, but it was said with something. (laughs) Well,
3: Kirsty, if you're listening, then you you, you know we'd love you to come on the podcast. Well, yeah, exactly, and you can defend yourself. (laughs) Then suddenly become a very different podcast. (laughs) Um,
1: Well, that was what. Also, what a horribly, badly, unheartfelt apology. No, I am sincerely sorry if I upset any Kirsty Allsops out there
3: yeah um what a great episode what a great first episode episode with john ronson like what a lovely guy really interesting some great advice
1: yeah and so yeah really candid and and fascinating stuff um about all aspects of his work um yeah
3: i found the bit when he's talking about um Working on more than one project at once as a way of dealing with blank moments. It's like, man, I could never do that. I yeah, can barely no. do one, but that's really interesting.
1: Yeah, no. Likewise, um, I've struggled to do one project at time. <laughs> I'm not alone more. But what a, what a great idea though to yeah. try different things and actually take your mind off it and actually challenge yourself with the harder things first, and then do something as a treat afterwards. Yeah.
3: And isn't it great that he uh, didn't pick up on our blank moments and <laughs> just, well, just he rolled up, on he, with it? He picked up on mine <laughs> and
1: quite rightly corrected me on the title of his, uh, uh, his um, book. He didn't book. let that stop the pod. He just no, no. He was very, very, very gracious. Very, very gracious. And Absolutely. I thank you for that, John.
3: Thank you so much to John Watson for joining us uh, on the First Blank Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed that. If you did, please get in contact with us. We are on all the socials. We're on the Instagram the Twitter. The <laughs> and Twitter. And the Facebook. I don't know. I'm just a uh, I mean, they're all are at blank pod. Correct, yeah. So please let us know if you enjoyed the pod. Give us some feedback. We'd love to hear it. We want to know about your blank moments. If there's anyone listening that has yeah. blank moments, feel free to tell us.
1: We'd love to hear your blank moments.
3: Um, if that takes longer than 140 characters, then uh, you can... Well, there's
1: 280 now. Oh, so.
3: yeah, man, I'm so behind. I'm so behind. Anyway, if it's longer than 280, you can email us, which is hello at the blank podcast dot com and let us know if there's anyone that you want to hear from in the future
1: yeah we'd love to hear any suggestions for guests um we've got some fantastic guests coming up but we are always open to trying to find other guests to come on
3: also please rate us on itunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast on so we can convince some more celebs to come on in the future yeah and please subscribe and subscribe yeah. yeah do all all the things
1: do all the things that we'd love you to do
3: (laughs) Um, and obviously John alluded there to a new project that he's working on that's almost in perfect timing has been announced yes yeah the
1: trailer's out now Um, it's called The Last Days of August it sounds fantastic Um, do check it out on uh, it's a a project by Audible so yeah check it out on all the the usual podcast places but it's going to be every bit as brilliant as the butterfly effect
3: fantastic well that's it That that's the end of the very first Blank Podcast how are you, feeling? How are you feeling Charles really good really excited can't wait for episode 2 neither can I it'll be with you next Wednesday so look out for that in the meantime have fun thank you <laughs> I don't know how to sign off no, that's terrible <laughs>
2: Hello, Gemma Kearney
1: here to tell you about Life on Our Terms, an exciting podcast with The Open University. In each episode, I'll be speaking to trailblazers who've rewritten the rules on learning.
3: This week, I'll be speaking to model-turned-chef Lorraine Pascal about her
2: latest move into the wellness space.
1: I guess it's about having a why, and I really wanted to find something else and be really skilled at it.
2: So go on, listen and subscribe to Life on Our Terms.
0: no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply i'm victoria cash thanks for calling the lucky land hotline if you feel like you do the same thing every day press one if you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes press two we heard you loud and clear so go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over a hundred social casino style games for free get lucky today at luckylandslots.com
3: available to players in the US excluding Washington and Michigan no purchase necessary bgw group void prohibited by law
0: 18+
2: plus terms and conditions apply this is a blast box media podcast